Hey everyone, it's Sadia and welcome back to Immigrantly. This is a podcast all about storytelling and cross-cultural conversations with so many people from all around the world. I am so glad that you have chosen to spend this time with me and my thoughts. Truly, each episode is one of the highlights of my week and I really, really hope the same goes for all of you. In fact, today's episode is going to be a lot of fun because I'm sitting down with the creator of a pretty popular series on TikTok that you may have already scrolled through. Taxi! You can take me anywhere you want and keep the meter running. If keep the meter running sounds familiar to you, keep listening. First, speaking of TikTok, Guys, what the hell is going on with this TikTok ban? I'm sure a lot of you have heard of this by now. Basically, under the data privacy and security concerns, the government is thinking of banning TikTok. This means no new users would be able to download TikTok. But if you already have the app on your phone, I honestly don't think the government can force you to remove it. So if you want to get TikTok, you should get it ASAP. And as you can imagine, plenty of people, including my kids, are not happy about this ban. But the good thing is nothing has been passed through law yet. But especially since we are speaking today with someone on TikTok, I thought I would just share the news with you and keep you up to date and remind you that Immigrantly is also on TikTok at Immigrantly Podcast. But anyway, on to the episode. So I mentioned Keep the Meter Running and if you haven't yet seen this series on your TikTok feed, I highly recommend checking it out. You can even find some clips on YouTube if TikTok isn't your thing. Basically, this fun, innovative series follows one man, Kareem Rahma, as he catches a taxi in New York City and tells the driver to take him to their favorite place and keep the meter running. Yes, that means the taxi fare continues to add up even as Kareem and the driver of the day go to restaurants, markets, or even a helicopter. Yeah, in one episode, Kareem flies around the city in a helicopter with a cab driver he meets named Ali. But the episodes when Kareem visits new restaurants are just so entertaining. And in one of the episodes, Kareem goes to one of my favorite restaurants. It's a Pakistani restaurant called Dera in Queens. They have fun, often insightful conversations that make you laugh and restore your faith in humanity, at least for a little while. So who is the man behind this great series? The creator, Egyptian-American Kareem Rahma, wears many hats. He's a comedian, a content creator, an entrepreneur, and a fellow podcaster. He's popped up on various media a few times, like a commercial for The Real Real, an episode of The Drew Berry Show, and he even once went viral for dipping his hot dog in his beer at a baseball game. He just strikes me as a really fun person, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with him. Also, Kareem's new band, Away Message, will be performing live for the first time ever at Baby's Alright in Brooklyn on April 17th. Link to buy tickets are in his bio. Don't forget to check it out. And let's get started.
Welcome to Immigrantly Kareem. I'm really excited to have you here. And I have a lot of questions, especially about your series, Keep the Meter Running. So how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. You know, once I had a guest and they said something like, when we meet people, we should ask them, how is their heart today? And sometimes I remember to ask people that. Other times I say, how are you doing? So I will rephrase and say, how is your heart today? My heart today is excellent. It's beautiful. It's sunny. It's warm. <laughs> There's really nothing to, you know, worry about today. Right. So I was looking in the back and I could see a few things on your wall. So one is out of order. And then there's something written in, is it Arabic? Mm -hmm. What is that? So Out of Order is a poster for a movie that I made huh. that premiered in Tribeca Film Festival in 2023. I wrote it and starred in it and produced it. And then the thing written in Arabic is a little plaque that I got in Morocco. It says actor in French and in Arabic. Talk to me about the movie Out of Order. I started writing it during the end of the pandemic. It's a time warp, so I have a really hard time figuring out exactly when that was. But at one point, my friend, New York Nico, Nicholas Heller, he DM'd me and was like, hey, man, I've always wanted to make a movie, but I don't know how to write one. Hmm. But I have an idea. And he was like, would you be interested in doing it? And I literally sat down and wrote it in like a week. And then we had to go back and forth for a while. But it's just a pure comedy. And it was right during the pandemic, post-quarantine. And just wanted to make like a funny, stupid, meaningless film that could make people laugh. And it's really just about one man's struggle to essentially get to a date that he has with a woman. Hmm. I guess the emotional undertone is that it's the first date since he got divorced. So it's very important for him to get to this date, but he has to use the bathroom. And in New York City, if you live here, you know that it's almost impossible to find a public restroom. Yeah. So the movie is just about him trying to get to the date and also use the bathroom, but everything goes wrong. He loses his wallet. He loses his keys. He gets his clothes stolen. I mean, it's just a crazy film. And we cast a bunch of real New York characters to play themselves in the movie. Hmm. So it really makes it feel special and unique in the sense that like my favorite thing about New York is that I feel like I live in a small town, even though it's this huge city. Why is that? Because I've developed a lot of relationships with people, whether it's my neighbors who I make a point to talk to almost every single day. If I see them, like I always stop and talk to them or the guy across the street that works at the deli. Or just people that I follow on Instagram or Twitter and I'll DM them and say like, hey, I love your stuff. Like we should take a walk sometime. And when I do that, it has created this feeling that like when I'm walking somewhere, like I run into people and I ask how they're doing and I see people running errands. It just makes it feel like I know so many people and not just am like, you know, spying on them via Instagram or something, <laughs> you know, because there's that version where it's like I've seen that person before. but. My goal is to actually know them at least enough to say hello and have a conversation if I see them on the street. I like that. I really do. Now, some people may think New Yorkers are rude and blunt. I disagree. You disagree? I disagree. I'm sorry. How so? <laughs> I think New Yorkers are the nicest people in the world. In what ways? I think that they, maybe they're no bullshit and maybe they're, you know, not interested in like being overly nice, but 
coming from the Midwest, there's an undertone of passive aggression that New Yorkers don't have. Yeah. You know, like if I'm here and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go swim in Washington Square Park today. Some people are like, well, have fun. Right. <laughs> but if I was like in Minnesota, they'd be like, why? That's so weird. Why would you do that? You know, there's 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 no judgment. And I also feel like there are rules that you got to follow in New York. Tell me about the rules. Don't walk slow. <laughs> Don't stand in the middle of the sidewalk. Don't stand in the middle of the stairs on the subway. Mind your business to a certain extent. And if you follow those rules, I feel like everyone's nice. Like there is a sense of community in New York. And obviously it's not everyone. But if you follow some of the rules of like New Yorkers, you can have a very pleasant experience. Of course, there are rude people, but that's also what makes the city special. No, you're right. New York reminds me of Lahore. So I grew up in Lahore in Pakistan, metropolitan city, very crowded, very busy. But there is a sense of community and people are nice to you and they may be blunt and it may come across as rude. Mm -hmm. But as you said, that rudeness is more like, okay, this is who we are. And I've also lived in Denver in the US and that's a completely different vibe because people, as you said, they pretend to be really nice. And my husband just did not like Denver because of that, because he couldn't really figure out what people were really thinking. Mm -hmm. And that can be confusing, right? But Kareem, talking about relationships and the kind of relationships that you have built, let's talk about Keep the Meter Running, your TikTok series, something that I am obsessed with. I've watched a lot of videos on that series. And what I really like about the series is the sense of community, right? Shared human experiences restaurant recommendations for us New Yorkers, <laughs> which is incredible. And then some shared wisdom that cab drivers share with you. So how did this idea come about and how did it take off from there? So there were a couple of moments in my life where I felt indebted to a taxi driver. And some of them were small moments like in Morocco or something, this guy's like, hey, go to this restaurant. It's where all the locals eat. It's amazing. You know, small little gesture of kindness to bigger interactions where they were more emotional. I was having an awful day or an awful evening. And the taxi driver acted as not only a friend, but also a therapist and a father figure and a, like a truth sayer or truth seeker in a more spiritual way. So just having a lot of different positive interactions with taxi drivers. I don't think I've ever had a negative one. Kind of was the inspiration for the series. There was a specific night where I really was kind of given amazing advice by a cab driver. I was having an awful night and coming home over the Williamsburg Bridge from Manhattan to Brooklyn. And by the time I got to my apartment, I was like, hey, man, do you like want to keep driving around and hanging out? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to have to charge you. <laughs> and and I was, at that point, I was like, well, I can't really pay for that right now. But thank you so much. And I remember walking out of the cab. And at that exact moment, I literally wrote down, keep the meter running. And I just put it in my notes. Maybe three or four or five years went by. And I was approached by my friend, Adam, who asked me if I have any good ideas for a digital web series that I want to create. And that was the first one that came to mind. And we just started making it. Did you know at the time that people would latch onto it? No, I had no idea. I was like really hesitant to actually do it. Why? 
because I was like, do I really want to do another thing? <laughs> I've done so many things and there have been so many failures. There's also been a couple of successes, but do I really want to dedicate all this time, all this energy, all this money to making an internet show, which is kind of not my goal at the moment. Mm. It was definitely something that I was doing for a long time, but as my career has grown, my ambition has grown. And I was trying to figure out how to get into TV or film, essentially make a career where I get paid and I'm not just making videos for free. So there was a moment where I really was on the fence about producing the series or even hosting it or even making it. And thank God I didn't because yeah, I had no idea that it would resonate with people as deeply and as intensely as it did. Have there been any surprises along the way, something that you weren't expecting through the series to either discover or any challenges that you faced? I mean, the series was never fully developed. Like the idea was like, get into a cab and let them take me wherever they want. That's the only idea I had. And in the first episode with this guy called Abdul Rauf Khan, where, where do you want to go? I, I, wherever you want to go. Yeah, in Dara. I've never been to Dara. Where's Dara? Jackson Heights. Yes, sir. Let's go to Jackson Heights. I remember being in the backseat being like, I don't know if this is working. Like, this guy only talks about being Muslim. And I don't know if that's like an interesting thing for people. And I also had no idea that he would take me to a restaurant. And what I found is that even in the mundane, there is a lot of for lack of better words, entertainment, right? Right. People want to watch the simplest conversation. And if that conversation is about what it means to be Muslim to this one guy who's a random taxi driver in New York City, then by all means, people liked it. And then the food, the food thing was a big surprise because I never said like, let's do a food show. Huh. It was not my plan. But what I find is that it's the universal kind of thing. Like, you know, there's a saying of breaking bread and getting to know someone over a meal and like that can create friendship. And that's exactly what happens in the show. And so, you know, I find that before the meal, the conversation is a little bit like I'm getting to know someone. Mm. But once we sit down and eat, it's like I've been friends with this person for 50 years. Yeah. That was a huge surprise. Both of those things were kind of unplanned for and unexpected, but that is what the show became. So when I was watching that video, and you're right, like it seemed as if you have known or you knew Abdur Rauf Khan for years. And then he took you to Dera, where I go to get Pakistani food. And the interesting thing is, he reminded me of every older male in Pakistan you see walking around on streets, right? He was chastising you about Quran. What's does that mean? You, you should know when you are an Egyptian. I know, but I'm bad Egyptian. And then he was talking to you about other stuff and scolding you in a way, which was such an interesting interaction because as a Pakistani, I could connect to <laughs> him, but I could connect to so many other people that you've hung out with. For instance, Isaac, right? Mm -hmm. And his story was so moving. I don't understand what happened you refused to pick up a passenger yes was uh, she a white lady yes a white white, white <laughs> young lady <laughs> you were tired i was you wanted to go home the next thing i know that she was opening the door she got in she got in but the light was on but i didn't know she refused to get out 
And then she called the police? She called 911 and said, I'm harassing her. You said you're harassing her? Yes. And the cop, he asked what's going on. And then this lady was still in the car. She was still in the car? Yeah. The cop advised her to call TLC. The girl said, no, she's not going to go to TLC. She, they have to arrest me. Yeah, it took me two months to get my license back. Dude, I'm sorry that happened this is, to you. This is the Can you talk a little bit about that, Kareem? Because that story really spoke to me. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like, it is so typical of our society today that somebody would treat someone who's doing actually a very noble service, which is taking you to your destination and being in the streets all day long, meeting so many people. It's very much so a condition of kind of our culture, especially in the States, that you would feel a sense of ownership or an inability to be empathetic Mm. to someone who's literally trying to go to sleep. You know, Isaac wants to go home. He's already worked 12 hours. And it was shocking. But on the other hand, it also wasn't shocking because it's so typical. I will say that also we've, as a crew, experienced the racism and kind of like lower caste standing that taxi drivers face oftentimes while we're shooting. Hmm. Like, for example, there was one time, and, and this didn't make the cut into the episode, but there was one time that we were going to an Italian restaurant, like a fancier one, and we wanted to park in the parking garage. And the parking attendants wouldn't let us park in the garage because we were in a taxi. Hmm. And it was so weird. And I was like, what is going on? They're like, we're going to call the cops if you try to park in here. I'm like, dude, it's a car. Let us park the car. He's like, no taxis. There's no sign that says no taxis. Hmm. Him saying, I'm going to call the cops. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would you call the cops? Like, we're going to pay you. I'm going to pay. I pay for it. And it's just like you see how people treat cab drivers sometimes and not everyone i mean i I had a ride with a guy named muhammad we're doing a special ramadan episode where he takes me to iftar and he says that you know 95 percent of his interactions are positive Hmm. and there's just five percent of people who spoil it and generally speaking that is what i hear from the guys but that five percent of bad people have the capability and capacity to essentially ruin someone's day Right. Which is unfair. Going back to Isaac's story, what I realized is that a lot of times people who have this hierarchical power dynamic with the rest of the society, they are aware of it and they will weaponize it and use it to their benefit Mm -hmm. when and as they deem necessary. So this white woman knew her privilege. She was well aware of what calling cops on Isaac mm-hmm. would do to him. And yet she did it anyway. Yeah. Right. And that's what I really like about your series, because it is about storytelling and humanizing and it's funny at times and quirky. But at the same time, it is also unraveling the underbelly of our society, which is so important. Kareem, I'm curious to know, why did you choose TikTok as a medium? And I read somewhere that cab drivers were initially reluctant to be part of it if it were going to be a TV series. (laughs) What is about TikTok that made them be part of it? And why did you choose TikTok? Well, I think for the cab drivers, a lot of them just have TikTok. 
because <laughs> they sit on their they're like they, they they take a rest on the taxi stand and they sit in their cars and you know maybe have tea and they scroll through tiktok just like everyone else and sometimes they watch youtube videos too like a lot of them say that you know that's how they spend some of their off time is watching youtube videos or tiktok videos so i think that that was a surprise for me as well you know the first time we tried to hail cabs I was like, it's for a TV show. And people were like, no, I'm not interested. But then I say TikTok and they're like, oh, cool. What's the channel name? You know, and then they see the videos and they're in. And, you know, for me, there's something special about TikTok. I think of it like a global TV channel Mm. where you can flip through everything that exists (laughs) in a way that is kind of not possible on other social media platforms. So seeing it as this global TV channel, it was the right place to do the show. And I also just as someone who has worked in media and content for so many years, it's important for me to kind of adopt the platforms that I think are going to be the ones that stay around for a while. Hmm. And I I feel like you know, I post the videos to Instagram, I post them to YouTube, but it's a TikTok show first. And we even shoot the content vertically, like holding the cameras vertically, which Mm. is literally not something that people do. (laughs) They usually shoot it horizontally and then crop it. But yeah, it's just to me, TikTok is the most entertaining, most interesting, most diverse set of content that you can possibly tap into. You talked about Instagram, and I do want to share something with you. As you said, you post your videos on Instagram as well. So a lot of times people that you interview, people that you sit with in the cab are immigrants, right? Mm -hmm. Especially immigrant men. And there's this idea of who an immigrant is in America. America has a love-hate relationship with immigrants. On the one hand, there is this cultural envy of, oh, you know, these people are part of other cultures and celebrating their culture. But at the same time, there is so much discrimination against immigrants. I'm an immigrant. I know that, right? Although I'm a privileged immigrant, but I still am aware. So I read this comment on one of your videos somebody posted. So this is, again, about celebrating culture that you do in videos. And this person says, I have no culture. We've been in America for so long. We have no idea where we originated from. As an American, I'm a very bad cook. I can't eat my own food. Is it because America doesn't have its own cuisine? I don't know. I have no culture. I guess I wanted to hear your reaction to this sentiment, cultural envy for people who are often also likely to face discrimination, this dichotomy that we see. How do you see this dichotomy play out in American society? You know, I don't know. Like, it's going to be a challenging place. You know what I mean? Like, when you talk about Pakistan, everyone's Pakistani. When you talk about Japan, everyone's Japanese. When you talk about Egypt, everyone's Egyptian. (laughs) There's a set of rules that have been placed by the culture that lives there. And in the States, that's not true, you know? And of course, there's going to be friction and tension. And some people are going to want to, you know, not do this and some other people are going to not do that and some people are going to be afraid and some people are going to be excited and it's just the way it is of course i wish that everyone could live in harmony and peace but i think in this great experiment in this great melting pot there's gonna be people who are upset about something i I can't speak on behalf of other people but i would not live anywhere else i don't think Hmm. i think this is you know and i'm american you know like that's also 
what's funny to me is like I feel culturally American. I've, of course, I was born in Cairo. My parents are Egyptian. I grew up in an Egyptian household. I look Arab. I have an Arab name. I'm also Arab, you know, but I'm an Arab in America and I embrace kind of both parts of those cultures. And I see the juxtaposition as something that is a superpower mm. because I'm able to see through multiple lenses all the time. You know, I, I can see everything in a broader sense of the way. I think it makes life a little easier to be able to see like that. You know, ignorance is bliss, but I'd rather not be ignorant. Right. So talk to me about your family. As you said, your parents immigrated to the U.S. from Egypt. What was that process like? And I know you were very young when they came here. So you were, what, three? Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you remember that. And I also believe your dad was a cab driver, right? Yeah, my dad was a cab driver for five years. He moved here in 1969 by himself. And it's the, you know, classic pursuit of the American dream. This was a time when there weren't a lot of Arab immigrants. It was kind of the first wave. And he was like, I'm in, I'm going. And so he just came and he came with nothing and no money in his pocket. You know, I think he came on the plane with like two friends and they decided to settle in Minnesota because it was the great, you know, it was the Midwest. It was America. It wasn't New York. It wasn't a major city like Cairo, and they wanted that life experience. Yeah, for me growing up, it's funny because I just recently had the realization that I'm ESL. Hmm. Like I spoke Arabic before I spoke English, and that like was deleted from my memory until recently when I was talking to someone and they were like, I'm ESL. And I was like, wait, I'm ESL too. And I just like realized it. I was like, that's crazy. Because right now my English is so much better than my Arabic. I barely even speak Arabic. But yeah, I mean, I had a, I'd say like American childhood. I lived in a suburb. I played baseball. I played basketball. I had a lot of neighbors that were my age. It was safe and it was fun. And I'd say that like once I came to New York, I really retapped into my, you know, brownness or you know, my my like otherness, whatever you want to call it, more my natural self, I'd say, because I didn't really need to whitewash myself anymore because New York is the center of the universe. Sorry for everyone that's in L.A. right now <laughs> or any other city. So, yeah, it was a good childhood. And my parents did what they had to do to make it and to give us good lives. And I thank them for that. So Karim, you've called yourself a bit of a chameleon, right? And as you said, because you knew Arabic before you knew English and you were a Midwesterner and now you're a New Yorker and you've been able to adapt to different environments. And I wonder if it is because of duality of cultural identity that you experience. I see that with my kids. I see that to some extent with me now because I've lived in the U.S. for almost two decades it's like code switching, right? So mm -hmm. the way I am at home, the language that I speak, the vernacular that I use is very different from when I'm talking to somebody outside my house, right? So I speak Urdu at home. I speak Pashto. I code switch and I behave differently when I'm speaking English. So I wonder, do you experience those things? And is it easier to adapt to a different environment? Because all of us in some way, shape or form are navigating multiple identities and cultures. Yeah, I'd say for me, I'm kind of just decided to just be myself regardless of where I am. I think I'm probably pretty weird to a lot of Egyptian people. In what ways? I don't know. I have an earring. I have some tattoos. I'm Muslim. I don't really 
care what anyone thinks at all. And, you know, at first I was like, for example, I would like take my earrings out if I was going to some sort of like Arab organization or Muslim event. And then I just decided I'm not going to take them out. And I went to Egypt and like my family made fun of me a little bit. <laughs> but, but they, you know, they were like, whatever, like that's him. And it's like, I just decided that maybe like subliminally or without intention, I'm doing these things. But for me, I'm, I'm just myself. And I think that is the quality that allows me to open doors or get comfortable with all sorts of different people because they see that I'm not only am I vulnerable, but I'm just relaxed in my body. I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm not trying to teach anyone anything. I'm simply on the ride, just like everyone else. And I think hmm. that is the most helpful thing. Like I said, of course, I have more references, right? I have more reference points. I think that like you don't have to be embedded into a culture or be born of a culture to have the duality. You simply have to want to have a frame of reference that's larger than whatever you currently have. Hmm. And that can happen wherever you live, right? you know? And that is what's happening in the show. Because I'd never eaten West African food in my life. I'd never eaten what was specifically Pakistani food. I've probably like nibbled it by accident or like had like something that is Pakistani, but I've never been to a Pakistani restaurant. So now my references, my frame of thought is different because I'm like, my favorite food is now West African food. I'm like, this is the best food. And I didn't know that until six months ago. So I don't know. I think it's just more about being open to the new experiences. It's more about accepting input, accepting these feelings and being true to those feelings rather than trying. What do you think is the most important component of being able to do that? A lot of people are very resistant to understanding other people's perspectives or looking at other people's lived experiences and internalizing that. So what do you think stops people from engaging in that sort of behavior? I'd say that is probably fear and ego. I think that's the biggest thing. If you strip away the fear and then you strip away the ego, I think you just open yourself up. Like people have a barrier built around themselves. They put up walls because they're afraid of being hurt or they're afraid of being disappointed or they're afraid of change. But if you accept that all three of those things are inevitable and they're going to happen, then you kind of can do whatever you want mm. <laughs> because no matter what, you're going to get hurt, no matter what, you're going to get disappointed and no matter what, there's going to be change. So the sooner you accept that, the sooner you're free. Mm. Can you talk to me about some of the best restaurants and food that you've discovered through this process? Are there any favorites that you have? Yeah, my current favorite is Accra, which is a restaurant in the Bronx, and Papaye as well, which is also in the Bronx. Those are both Ghanaian restaurants. And man, oh man, is that food good? Mm. Is that food flavorful? Is that food filling and warm and special and wonderful? So I'd say that's like right now my favorite place. I will say Dara is definitely up there as either second or third place at the moment. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and which is Pakistani food. And then I loved Little Morocco, which is, uh, I think, on Steinway Street in Queens. 
And it's just a Moroccan restaurant that is very fresh, very clean, very delicious and uh, and healthy. Hmm. So I can't help myself but ask you if you had this hypothetical cab that I sat in and said, take me to your favorite place and keep the meter running. Where will you take me? That's a tough, tough question. Does it have to be food? Are we doing food? Anything. <laughs> See, that's so funny because when I ask the cab drivers that, they always have this same reaction where they're like, man, I don't know. And you're the first person that's asked me that. So now I'm trying to think of like what I love. You know what? I'd, I'd probably, I don't know if it's my favorite place, but in terms of food, I love Abu Kir, hmm. which is this restaurant in Queens. It's Egyptian. And they make this fish. It's a seafood restaurant. They make this fish that like reminds me of Egypt. And it's like this grilled fish with this these spices that I've only tasted in Egypt. Huh. It's an Egyptian place for sure. And it's so good and so wonderful and the people are so nice. So I'd probably go there. And then I'd also think about going to Mamoun's, which is a falafel spot. There's two locations, but it's the best falafel that I've had outside of Egypt. It's Tameya, which means that the inside is green, not yellow. And that's really rare and hard to get, I feel like, in New York. So those would probably be my two favorite food spots. And if I were going to do something else, I'd probably just go to Central Park, which I feel like is a place that I love going to, but I don't go to enough. Hmm. So... In the end, I want to do two things. One, rapid fire with you, which I don't normally do, but I thought, why not? <laughs> and then my favorite question, which is like, define America, which we do in the end. But we'll start with the rapid fire. And I have like just six rapid fire questions. Nothing too complicated. Worst New York City subway line? The ones that I don't take. <laughs> the ones that I don't know the names of. I don't think I've ever taken B or D. There's like a couple that I've never taken. So those are the worst ones. Okay. Favorite type of food? Give me a Italian. Italian? Well, yeah. That's surprising. I don't know. I just cannot develop taste for Italian. I don't know why. I think it's about the experience. Like for me, an Italian restaurant, just pasta and pizza with a bunch of friends and like a Saturday night is just... Hmm. TikTok or Twitter? TikTok 100%. Going out or staying in? Staying in 100%. Favorite comedian at the moment? Ooh, at the moment? At the moment, I'm going to have to go with my friend Sahib Singh, who I think is the funniest person on earth right now. Best borough in New York City? Brooklyn! <laughs> and in the end, Kareem, if you were to describe America... In a word or a sentence, how would you do that? America is the most complicated yet beautiful place to make a life. I like that. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. I am so glad we were able to do this. Where can people find Keep the Meter Running? Yeah, follow Keep the Meter Running on TikTok at Keep the Meter Running. Uh, if you want to see the videos on Instagram, you can just follow me at Kareem. And we're also on YouTube at Keep the Meter Running. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. Thank you so much.
I hope all of you enjoyed this conversation. I had a great time listening to Kareem talk about keep the meter running and his general chill attitude towards life. Loved it. Anyways, it got me thinking, what if you were to take somebody to your favorite place? If you have any thoughts on it, write to me at info at immigrantlypod.com or if you have some interesting ideas, send me a voice memo. Just sit in a quiet place in a room and record it on your phone and then email it to me. I would love to play it during our conversation. Anyways, this episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Michaela Strother and me. Our incredible editor is Hazek Ahmed Farid. And if you didn't notice we have new music by simon hutchinson also please don't forget to follow us on all different social media platforms including tiktok at immigrantly podcast on twitter at immigrantly underscore pod and on instagram at immigrantly pod until next time take care